What's up, 11 a.m.? How are you guys doing this morning? You guys doing good? Welcome to Coastal. My name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here. We're glad that you're with us. Anybody happy to be in God's house this morning? Anybody excited about that? For those of you that aren't, like, we're happy you're here anyways, and so uh, we're, we're glad that you're here. We, it, this is really a great day for us as a church and, because today is the day that I get to uh, announce officially that we own 7.29 acres of land in Parkland, Florida, and so, uh, yeah, it's a good day. We closed this past Monday, and we're excited about what God is going to do. We're going we're gonna to tell you guys some more about that in the coming months, but I, I really believe that God has strategically placed us right on University Parkway in Parkland uh, for such a time as this, and, and over the next couple months, we'll tell you some more about what that's going to look like for, for Coconut Creek specifically, uh, but let me also say thank you so much to those of you that, uh, without even being asked or whatever, you just, you just heard about uh, what little bit we had left to, to close with that we needed to, to raise, and without even really having to ask, you guys just gave generously, and and I so appreciate that as your pastor, that we are a, a generous church that makes things happen uh, even when we're not asked. And so I, I, as your pastor, I'm proud of that. I'm proud of the fact that this weekend people were out serving at SOS Children's Village, making a difference there. That last weekend you were in Collier City serving, making a difference. I love the fact that this church is just about making a difference all the time. And so thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Uh, the, the Like, there are greater things still to come. Like, God is up to something. I believe that big time, and I can't wait to see what that looks like for us. And so, anyways, over the next couple of weeks, this is great. We're not in a series right now, and so it allows me to just kind of share some things that have been on my heart over the last little bit. And so, uh, today, as we're getting started here, how many of you guys growing up would, would play the game, Would You Rather? Anybody ever play that game, like, Would You Rather? Would you rather drive a Porsche, or would you rather have a 1962 Volkswagen Beetle or whatever, you know, it might be, I don't know what a vegan is, but it's a cross between a Beetle and a vegan, so it's probably, you don't want to drive that, um, but you know, like, it's the Would You Rather game, and we used to play this on road trips, and I thought it'd be fun for us to play Would You Rather. Anybody down for playing a little bit of a game this morning, a couple people? For the rest of you guys, you're just a bunch of haters. It's okay, you're going to play anyways, okay? Okay, so would you rather have Starbucks for free for one year or iTunes for the next 10 years. How many people Starbucks? How many people Starbucks? You want Starbucks for the next year? Wow, not a lot of coffee drinking. iTunes, iTunes for the next 10 years. You know, music, you can rip that junk off. I know that I'm not supposed to say that, but that's what people do. Uh, but okay, so we got that. Okay, how about this one? Would you rather listen to bagpipe music for an hour or somebody playing the, the banjo for 10 hours? How many people bagpipe music for an hour? Okay, okay. Banjo for 10 hours. Dang, we got a lot of bluegrass people in here or something. Like, I wasn't, like, I totally, I would get the hour of, of death over with. And, like, like, 10 hours, oh, my gosh, you guys are crazy. How about this one? How many of you guys would rather sneeze every three minutes or just go through the rest of your life just having the feeling you're about to sneeze? Sneezing every three minutes, people. Okay. Just the feeling you're about to sneeze. Man, y'all are some sick individuals. Like, you just want to go there like, <gasps> like, we got prayer right back here, right after service. One of our elders is back. We'll lay hands on you. Like, you can be healed. I promise. Something wrong. But, but this whole thing of would you rather, 
I think that this isn't something we just play on, on, on trips, you know, trying to pass time in the car. I would actually submit to you that we, we play this game every day of our life with every decision that we're making because the, the onus behind the would you rather game is it's all about maximizing pleasure. It's about maximizing happiness. It's about maximizing the joy in your life and minimizing pain and discomfort. And so for a lot of us, what we do is we look at in the moment, like what is gonna be the best thing for right there. What can I see? What can I understand? What can I grab hold of and make a decision based on that? And nothing wrong with that because that's logical. Like, let me try to figure out how I can minimize my pain and maximize my pleasure. The only problem with that is that we really are living based on what we only see. And the problem with living based on only what we see is we miss out on a lot of the God factor. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it says that for we live by believing, not seeing. And so a lot of times the would you rather game is all about what we can see and what we can understand. But the life of faith calls us to step into some things that are uncomfortable, that are not normal, that are difficult, that are hard, that are sometimes painful circumstances. Because what is unseen beyond those circumstances is incredible. And the reason I'm thinking about this is because a couple of weeks ago, I was sitting with a guy and, and he asked me this question and I've just been pondering it. He goes, how do I know when I'm ready to step out in faith? I thought to myself, that's a good question. Like, how do you know when you're ready to step out in faith? Like, how do you, how do you just like know exactly, okay, I'm, I'm like, enough time has passed, I'm ready now, or I have enough skills and abilities, I'm ready now. Like, how do I know the answer to that, and I think a lot of us have that desire to know that because we have some dreams, we have some callings in our lives, we have some promptings that we feel like are from God, we have some ideas of what we wanna see happen in our lives and we really believe that, that God is calling us to that. And so how do we know when it's the right time and when we're ready to step out of our comfort zones and into that moment of faith? And, and for me, I just wanna know when I'm ready. And I'm sure that a lot of you just want to know, like, when am I ready to take that step? And I've, I've thought about that question. I've come to the conclusion that, uh, unfortunately, you're probably never going to be ready to step out in faith. I know that this is, like, the most depressing message ever right now. Like, you're never going to be ready to step out. That's why it's called faith. You can write that down. Faith means you're not ready. I'm serious. It's like, you're not ready. But the amazing thing about stepping out when you're not ready, and if you're taking notes, is this, is that God loves using people who aren't ready. Like God's favorite person to use is the person that doesn't think they're ready. And, and the reality for all of us is we're probably never gonna get to a place where we're prepared and that we're ready, but Jesus loves going and grabbing the person that's unprepared and not ready and doing something incredible with them. And all throughout this book, you're gonna see stories of people who weren't ready, who God calls and prompts and gives this idea to, and they step out in faith and see God do amazing things. And today we're gonna be looking at a story in Matthew 28, if you have your Bible, you want to turn there and what is happening at this time is Jesus has come he's lived this sinless life even though he lived this sinless life he was arrested he was tried and he was found guilty by his peers and and they beat him they put him up on a cross and crucified him he died 
and three days later after he was buried, he rose again, and that joker is roaming the earth, and, and, and people are freaking out about it, and so he shows up, and he's talking to the disciples at the end, and this is what he says in verse 16. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all of my commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, this passage of scripture, this is a big deal here. Jesus is laying out the ultimate challenge uh, or uh, a commission. In fact, if you were to look in your Bible under the heading of this section, it is probably called the Great Commission. That's how it's headlined. And this is, these, this is Jesus' last words. This is his last challenge to these guys. And these are their more marching orders for the rest of their life. These are our marching orders as Christ followers going to all the world and preach the gospel. Like that is our orders. And Jesus is giving these orders. What's really, really interesting is he's giving these orders to a bunch of guys that aren't ready for them. Like they aren't ready to take these orders and run with them. In fact, the first indication that they're not ready is in verse 16. If you're gonna go back to verse 16, it says, then the 11 disciples, how many disciples were there supposed to be? But it says, then the 11 disciples, and, and so that word 11 there is really, really important for us to understand that this means that something ain't right. Something's not all there, and, and I gotta give credit where credit is due. John Ortberg kind of discovered this, and in his study, I saw it, and I was like, this is brilliant, because in that culture and that time, numbers were very, very significant. Every number meant something to the people. And so therefore, when they would have heard this from Jesus or people would have read this in the Gospel of Matthew, they would have been like, hold up, wait a minute, that, that's 11. That ain't the right number. Like that's, that's the wrong number because numbers were significant. You look at the number three in the Jewish culture. The number three equaled holiness. It was signifying holy. There's God in three parts, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a holy trinity. There were three parts to the temple that they would go into. It was holy. You look at a number like the number four. The number four was meant like the earth and creation. And so you start understanding that, like, you think about the earth, what there's, there's, there's four directions on the earth, right? North, south, east, and west. There's four dimensions, uh, height, width, length, and breadth. There's four corners of the earth. And so numbers were significant, and, and they would take, like, the product of numbers. So they would look at the product of four and three, the product of, of earth and creation and holiness, and, and the product of four times three would be 12. And 12 was like the ultimate number for the Jewish tradition. Like 12 was their big deal. There, there were uh, 12 months in the year. There, there were uh, uh, 12 loaves of bread in the temple. There were 12 uh, stones on the priestly garment. There, there were 12 tribes of Israel. And so 12 was a really big deal because the number 12 meant completion. Like you are complete, you are whole. And so, and so you look all throughout scripture, you think about the 12 tribes of Israel. When all 12 are there, that means that's all of Israel. There's 12 months in the calendar year. That's a complete year. And, and you could go on to like the book of Revelation and the number 12 is scattered everywhere. It's like, what is your deal with the number 12? There's, there's 12 uh, 
foundations that hold up the walls. There's 12 gates and there's 12 pearls on the gates and there's, there's just 12. Every, in fact, the tree of life produces 12 different kinds of fruit on the 12 different months. I mean, they're obsessed with 12. Taylor Swift likes 13. Jewish people, 12. And so, so right away you realize, man, the book of Matthew, Jesus is like, man, I'm gonna send out these disciples, but there's no longer 12. And that's significant because they are not whole and they are not complete any longer. And that is the wrong number. And Jesus says, hey, man, you 11, I'm going to send you out. And now what's interesting, and another thing that you, you a lot of times just read over like I do, is in the next verse it says, when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some of them doubted. Now, these are the guys who have been with Jesus the entire time. They've seen every miracle. They've seen him raise people from the dead. They saw him raise from the dead. In fact, he is standing before them, and they're like, Jesus, that's awesome. Like, you died, and you rose up. You rose other people up. But do you have anything else? Because we're just not sure about you. Like, you got, any, you got anything else? And so not only are they not complete, but they also don't really believe. And so Jesus is like, hey, I'm gonna send out you guys to go into all the world and you're kind of 11-ish. You know, you're not quite 11 because you're doubting, so you're kind of there. The church that Jesus is gonna build everything on is 11-ish. It's incomplete, it's inadequate, it's doubtful doesn't have it all together. It's kind of like the church today. It's incomplete. It's inadequate. It's got some doubt in it. You know, it's 11-ish. Coastal, we say it a little bit different. We say everybody's welcome because nobody's perfect and anything's possible. We could shorten that down to coastal is 11-ish. And that's the church that Jesus chooses because we're not perfect and we're not adequate. He goes, I know you're not any of those things, but I'm gonna send you anyways. I'm gonna put you out there anyways. And I know that you don't know what you're doing, but we're gonna go and we're gonna take a step of faith and we're gonna learn along the way. And listen, you're gonna make some mistakes. You're gonna screw up in some areas, but you're 11-ish, just go. And it's not just the disciples he he tells us to, you, you go and you look all throughout this book. There isn't a single story where God shows up to somebody and goes, you know what? I have something absolutely incredible for your life and, 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 and I want you to go take the land or do this or start this or, or be this in the world. And the person goes, you know what, God? I'm ready for that. Like, I got game right now. I've got it going on. I've been preparing myself. I've been working out. I've been sweating it out. I've been doing everything. Man, I'm full inside and out. I'm buff and I'm ready to go. Let's go get them, God. Nobody responds that way. In fact, they all respond kind of the exact opposite of that. Like, God, that's awesome, but I'm not quite sure you got the right guy. Not quite sure I'm ready. In fact, there's a ton of examples of it. First one, and I just want to point out some of it, is Moses in Exodus 3. It says, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I've seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, 
Israel out of Egypt. And so God says, hey, Moses, I want you to go. I want you to step out in faith and go for it. And Moses' response to God is, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And God answered, I'll be with you. And, and Moses is like, God, that's awesome that you're gonna come with me, but I ain't ready. Not ready. There's another guy named Gideon, and this is what it says in Judges. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength that you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And God says to Gideon, God, Gideon, I want you to go. And Gideon's like, have you seen my bicep? I'm not ready. This isn't TJ up here. This is, this is Gideon. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> you guys have seen my bicep then, haven't you? No, I'll just... Like, I'm not ready, God. I don't, I don't have the strength that you need. God named Jeremiah, this is what he says. The Lord gave me this message. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Oh, sovereign Lord, I said, I can't speak for you. I am too young. Now, this is kind of an interesting one because... Because Jeremiah has, has this mixed reaction. He kind of praises God and doubts God at the same time. He's like, oh, sovereign Lord. He's like, God, you're great. You're mighty. You're awesome. He's like worshiping God. And at the same point, he's like, but do you know how old I am? Like, have you, have you checked my driver's license? I'm not old enough to do this yet. Which is interesting because how can you worship and doubt at the same time? You know, we, we, we sang a song earlier, Unstoppable God. And, and in that song, it says, um, impossible things, God, in your name, they shall be done. And, and I know for me, I'll come in here and I'll be like, impossible, God, in your name, in your name, things shall be done. And I'll be worshiping and then I'll be like, God, but how am I gonna pay my rent at the same time? And while I'm worshiping God, I still have this doubt in my life. Then there's a woman named Esther and, and she is married to the king, but she's in a, kind of a crazy predicament because if she doesn't go to the king and talk to him about her people, her people are going to be destroyed, including herself. And this is what it says in Esther. All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. And she's like, God, listen, I understand the calling. I understand the prompting. I get the the, the, the largeness of the situation, I, I, I get all that. But do you understand that if I go, I could die? Like, I know you're okay with that, God, but I, I'm not ready to die yet. She's like, she's not ready. Then there's another guy, his name is Saul. He's the first king of Israel, and Saul has a lot of potential. In fact, if you were to look at him in the very beginning, you'd think, man, this guy's gonna be a good king. I mean, he was, he was tall, he was good looking, he had noble character and stature with people. Uh, like, he, he came from the right line and pedigree. Like, he had everything going for him. And in fact, in the very beginning, when you start looking at what his life was like, you're like, man, this guy's got a lot of potential. And so he has been chosen, and they're about to present him before all of the people of Israel to anoint him king. The only problem is, is nobody can find him. Like, and they're searching all over Israel looking for Saul, and Saul is nowhere to be found. And finally, they're like, well, maybe we should ask God where Saul is. And so they ask God, and this is what they say in Samuel 10, 22. It said, so they asked the Lord, where is he? And the Lord replied, 
He is hiding among the baggage. Which got me thinking this morning, playing hide-and-go-seek with God has got to be the worst game of hide-and-go-seek ever. <laughs> like, he, you, God, you go count, and I'll hide. And he's, like, done with a billion. You're behind the curtain. Dang it, God, like, come on, man. You know, like, at least play along a little bit. But, uh, like, God is like, where is the king that you're waiting for you to lead? Like, they're, they're asking, God, where is this king? Like, you, you've helped appoint this king, and where is he? And he's like, man, he's over there hiding in the baggage. You want to know why? Because he wasn't ready. He wasn't ready for that responsibility and that title and that place. So my question for us is, is how many of us are hiding behind our baggage? How many of us are hiding behind those things in our life? We all have dreams. We have aspirations. We have these promptings. We have these callings. We have these ideas that we feel like are totally and completely from God. But you're hiding behind your baggage. Because, listen, we all have baggage. Every single one of us in here today has baggage because th things that have happened to us, things that have said to us, uh, things that we have done, experiences that we've had, abuses that have taken place in our life, conversations that we've been a part of, offense that we've taken on or given in the rejections. There's so many things that cause baggage in our life. And you know what we do with our baggage? We hide behind it. We hide amongst it. We hide in it. And we allow that fear to paralyze us and keep us from doing the things that God wants us to do because we think, man, if I can just stay right here, then I will never be exposed. Because we think because of that baggage, we're not ready and so instead of addressing our baggage you know what we do is we give excuses and so my question for all of us today and it's in your notes there's a blank that says what's your excuse I am too blank what is the word that would describe your life like what is the baggage that you're hiding behind. Maybe it's I'm too old or I'm too young or I, I, I'm too ashamed or I, I'm too dangerous or I, I have too much uh, 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 sin in my life or I, I'm too uh, embarrassed or I'm too scared. I don't know what that word is for you, but what is it that you're hiding behind that's keeping you from living the life that God intended for you to live fully trusting him. And here's what I know about you. You are never gonna soar. You're never gonna experience. You're never gonna live to the fullness of all that God has as long as you are hiding in and amongst your baggage. And the great news for all of us is God loves using people who feel like they aren't ready. He loves using us. So how is God challenging you today? Is he challenging you to step out and, into a relationship that you know that you need to step out in? Maybe you need to love somebody like you haven't been loving them. Maybe you need to embrace somebody like you haven't been embracing them. Maybe he's challenging you to step out into some sort of calling or starting a business. Maybe he's calling you today or challenging you to step out and start serving in the local church instead of just attending all the time and getting involved and doing something. I don't know what it is, but what is God challenging you to do today? 
And if you don't know what that is, let me help you out. I'll give you something because I, I just got stuff for you to do. And so today in your worship, God, is our connect group, God. And during the summer, we have a lot of fun with our connect groups. They're, they're extremely relational. They're lots of fun. My challenge to you would be to get outside of your comfort zone and get involved in some relationship because our church is not about Sunday morning. I know that this may come as a surprise to you. We've never really been about rows. We've always been about circles. And so Sunday morning is a great starting point, but where the real life of our church happens is it happens in community during the weeks where people are doing life together because we know and believe that the greatest life change is not gonna happen here with you listening to me or somebody else on a Sunday morning. The greatest life change is gonna happen is when you get involved in relationship with other people who challenge you and spur you on to greater things in God. And so my challenge for you is right after service, go out there and find a group and sign up and put yourself out there and get out from amongst your baggage and you might find out that your scaredness of other people was just, uh, uh, it was just craziness, okay? And so you need to do that. And I know that some of you are like, I don't think I'm ready for that. Do it anyways. Do it anyways. I know you don't feel like you're ready to step out of your comfort zone, but you have no idea what you're capable of until you get out of your comfort zone. And not only do you have no idea what you're capable of, you have no idea what God is capable of. And you could be missing out on some of the greatest things that God wants to do in your life. Growing up, uh, I had this extreme fear of heights um, because at 13 years old, I was, my stepdad owned a big construction company and I would go and work with him. And we were, we were roofing this, this big house on Minnesota Key uh, one weekend doing some work. I was, I was trying to earn some money during the summer and, and we were on a 12-10 pitch, if you know anything about construction. That's a really steep roof. And, uh, and so it was, it was a third, the third floor roof. And so we were up there, we are working. And I happened to hit a patch of sawdust. And I, I slipped and I started falling down the roof. And somehow I had the wherewithal as a 13-year-old to use my claw part of my hammer as I'm sliding down to stick it in the board and just hold on. And so I stuck it in the board as hard as I could. I just slammed it into it. It got stuck. I was hanging off the roof, hanging onto this hammer by one arm. And uh, my stepdad came down and he rescued me and saved my life at that moment. And so from that point on, I was kind of freaked out over heights. Um, and, and so as a high schooler, I was a little crazy. And one night in Sarasota, we decided that we we're going to go, uh, well, I didn't decide. My friends decided, and I was just with them. Let me say it like that, because this would never have been my decision. They decided, hey, after we got done at being at this party, let's go jump off the bridge that leads from downtown Sarasota uh, to St. Armand Circle. And this is a pretty big bridge if you've ever been to that side of the state. And, uh, and so we get up there, we walk up the bridge, we can park in this little park that's right next to it, and we walk up there, and the guy that that does the draw bridge isn't paying attention. I don't know if he's asleep or whatever. And like, there's a group of us. And so the first guy jumps off, it's dark. And I don't know if you've ever looked underneath bridges, but there's like concrete and stuff down there. And like, I, I don't know what else is underneath there because I'm not going and looking underneath bridges, but I, I'm gonna guess there's dangerous stuff. And this is a huge height. And, and this guy jumps off and you hear the, ah! 
And then you hear him, yeah, you know, and so that's how we knew he was okay because we couldn't see him because it was dark. Uh, and so, like, the next guy kind of jumps off, and there's a group of us, and, and I'm standing on this side of the railing with some other guys, and you're like, let's go to the other side, and let's, let's stand there and jump off one at a time. And I'm like, I'm making sure I'm at the end. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I'm going to let them all jump off, and then I'm just going to step back over the railing and walk down and, and let them jump off. Like, that's for stupid people, you know? Uh, and so... And so they're jumping off, and, and the guy next to me, he keeps going, you ready? You ready? You ready? You ready? Which she, I'm not responding to anything, like, because I ain't ready. But I'm not telling him that. And I hear, you ready? One more time is my friend. His name is Chris Hart. Someday you'll meet him because he'll come speak here. He's crazy. Uh, and before I knew it, uh, he had his arms wrapped around me and had leaped off with me. And he's laughing, and I'm like, you know, I was, I, I literally, I, I, like, I was Mariah Carey high pitch at that point, you know, like, like, you know, that, like, I, like, I was hitting those notes, I was shattering glass of the, 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 the stories all around and stuff, I mean, it was crazy, um, and you don't realize this, when you jump from really high heights, you think it goes fast, it doesn't, like, you have lots of time to think, like, how am I going to die? Am I, is this going to be, like, am I going to be, like, paralyzed? Is this going to be an open casket, a closed casket? Like, you're, like, contemplating all those things in your mind. And I remember hitting the water and just thinking and coming out of that water and going, that was awesome. That's amazing. And I swam over to shore, and I ran back up the bridge and jumped off again, and I ran back up, jumped again. Like, I, I was amazed. But listen, if it was up to me, I would have never been ready. There is not a moment in time that I would have been like, you know what? I, I'm ready to jump off of a perfectly good bridge right now. And for some of you guys, you know what? You're going to go through in life and you are just never going to be ready. So you're like, oh man, when am I going to be ready to step out of faith? Never. But here is what I want you to know. It's in verse 20. This is what Jesus says. It says, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus says, listen, I know you're not going to be ready, but I want you to go. And listen, you're not going to go alone. When you jump off that bridge, you want to know who's going to be hugging you? That's going to be me. I got you. And a lot of us think we got to be ready and, and, and able to do this. And God is going, no, no, no. You don't have to be able and ready. You just have to be willing today. You got to be willing to take that step of faith. And know that I am with you always till the end of the age. Let's pray. God, we just come before you today. And this is what I know is a lot of us, we have... We have faith choices we need to make right now in our lives. We have things that are going on that, that you're prompting us to, that you're calling us to, that you're pushing us towards. And we don't feel ready. 
We don't feel able. We feel inadequate. We feel incomplete for those moments. And it's been holding us back. It's been keeping us from taking the steps and the leaps that you've been encouraging and prompting and calling us to. And today, we need to take that step. Because we're not taking that step alone, we're taking it with you. And maybe you're out there today and you need to take that step. Maybe there's another group of people that are out there today that the step that you need to take is a, is a step to trust God in faith. Maybe you don't have it all figured out yet. You don't have all the answers. Listen, you're never going to have all the answers because why would you ever want to serve a God that you can completely understand? But he's been calling you. He's been prompting you. He's been drawing you in. Today is the day that you just say, you know what, God? I'm willing to step out and trust. I'm going to ask Pastor Steve to lead you guys in that.